0: M S W Media Big shout out today to Helix Sleep. Take their two minute sleep quiz and they'll match it to a mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and use code HELIXPARTNER. With Daily Beans Hello, and welcome to The Daily Beans for Monday, September 18th, 2023. Today, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton has been acquitted on all impeachment charges, but only after Trump allies pressured state Senate Republicans to exonerate him. Data shows that lying to the ATF on gun purchase forms is rarely prosecuted. Judge Middlebrooks bench slaps Donald Trump's attempt to relitigate his previously sanctioned and dismissed lawsuit against Hillary Rodham Clinton and 31 other defendants, citing the Durham report as quote unquote new evidence. Kevin McCarthy's brother in law got $7.6 million in government contracts. Investigative journalists uncover ties between Alabama's SCOTUS defying redistricting maps and the Leonard Leo Dark Money Network. And former Attorney General Edwin Meese writes a stupid letter in support of Jeffrey Clark. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everybody. Happy Monday. Uh, Dana had some last-minute travel plans. She won't be here today, so I'll be bringing you the news. I promise she will be back in your ears soon. And thank you for letting me bring you the stories today. Also, super honored to announce I will be hosting the first-ever live AMA on the Post Network. Uh, It'll be this Wednesday, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, goes for about 30 minutes, give or take. And you can ask me anything about the Trump state and federal charges. You can sign up for Post for free using the link in the show notes. I also have a link in my Twitter bio if you want to sign up that way. Awesome. I'm very excited to do this. Also, I just want to take a moment to thank the patrons of this show. I could not do this without you. Your generosity is overwhelming and humbling. Uh, And if you would like to support independent media with appropriate profanity, please head to patreon.com slash Muller She Wrote. At the $5 level, you get ad-free access to both this show and the Jack podcast with me and Andy McCabe. And there's a new episode out today of the Jack podcast where Andy and I discuss what Jenks material is and what the Mar-a-Lago IT guy, Tavares, did after Dale Olivera told him Donald wanted the surveillance footage deleted. He took a few steps and we have that story. You can also listen and subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. So check it out. And I have a quick hit today. Judge Middlebrooks wrote a scathing response to Donald Trump's attempt to revive his lawsuit against Hillary Rodham Clinton et al., including my co-hosts on other podcasts, Andy McCabe and Pete Strzok, because he says he's got new evidence from the Durham report. Uh, he doesn't. And Pete Struck and I will go over that in detail on this Wednesday's episode of Clean Up on Isle 45. You don't want to miss it. All right. We have a ton of news to get to today. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. First up, the Texas Senate has acquitted Attorney General Ken Paxton on all articles of impeachment. That seemed really off to me because earlier... They had voted overwhelmingly to move forward with all the articles of impeachment. And today we learned what may have changed their minds. From Axios, National Republicans organized an under-the-radar secret campaign of outside conservative pressure to the Texas senators designed to neutralize mainstream media coverage. A top GOP strategist said, This outside unofficial team operated independently of the Paxton legal operation, like a super PAC without the money. Senators weighed whether Paxton illegally used his office to benefit an Austin real estate developer and improperly fired some of his top deputies who reported him to the FBI and other agencies. Despite an overwhelming majority of House Republicans voting to impeach Paxton in May, only two of the 18 Republican senators voted to convict him. Now, when asked for a response, Democratic Rep. Ann Johnson had this to say. Let's listen. The Board of Managers presented overwhelming evidence that Ken Paxton is the most corrupt politician in the state of Texas at this time. And the Republicans in the Texas Senate just returned him to the office of top cop. I will rely on what I said on the floor of the Texas House. God help us. It was made clear to Texas Republican senators that they would face a very well-funded primary opponent in their next election if they voted to impeach. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Investigations aren't obstructing Trump's candidacy. Trump's candidacy is obstructing investigations. All right, next up from Glenn Kessler at The Post. Form 4473, the firearm transaction record, is a six-page document that must be filled out whenever someone buys a firearm from a licensed firearm dealer. The form asked questions, including whether the person buying the gun is a felon, whether they're a fugitive or been convicted of domestic violence, or whether they're addicted to drugs or whether they're the actual buyer of the firearm. This tweet by ATF's Houston office led a swarm of Twitter users to ask why the Bureau didn't charge Hunter Biden, the president's son, for allegedly lying on a Form 4473 when he purchased a handgun in October of 2018. The controversy prompted us to request statistics from the Justice Department to determine whether someone falsely filling out the form faced any much of at all or any risk of of prosecution. This is the Post who reached out to the DOJ. It took months to obtain the data, they say, and the answer, it turns out, is no. No, you don't face much of a risk of prosecution. Starting with the National Firearms Act of 1938, Congress has sought to limit gun purchases by certain individuals, such as fugitives and people convicted of a felony. After high-profile assassinations and the occupation of the California Capitol by armed Black Panthers, LBJ urged the passage of the Gun Control Act of 1968, which, among other things, expanded the list of prohibited people to include someone who is, quote, an unlawful user of or addicted to marijuana or any depressant or stimulant drug. Someone might want to find out what Lauren Bobert was vaping in that uh, theater in Buell uh, where she gave a handy to her date, because um, I know she's got guns. The Brady Handgun Violence Prevention Act of 1993, ushered into law by Joe Biden, then senator, he was chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, made Form 4473 a key part of background checks for gun purchases mandated by law. Lying on the form is a felony, punishable up to 10 years in prison. For being a user of unlawful drugs in possession of a firearm, that punishment is up to five years. But according to newly revealed Justice Department records, the odds of being charged for lying on this form are basically non-existent. In the 2019 fiscal year when Hunter Biden purchased his gun, federal prosecutors received 478 referrals for lying on the form and filed just 298 cases, according to data extracted from the U.S. attorney's case management system. That's out of 27 million background checks that year. 298 out of 27 million. The data released by the Justice Department doesn't show how many of those led to convictions. So there you go with that. That's just, you know, basically the 298 cases were filed. But a review of such cases in Delaware also provided to the fact checker shows that in fiscal 2019, only three cases were referred for prosecution in the state, and the U.S. attorney didn't bring any of them. Zero. Personally, I don't think this case will even get to these arguments. I think it'll be dismissed either because the diversion agreement, where he agreed, you know, to not mess up again, and, you know, there was that agreement in place, you know, they say the plea agreement fell apart, there was a diversion agreement for the gun charge. I think that will be ruled effective, still in effect. Because no facts have changed since then. Just politics, right? Why weren't you going to charge him before, and now you are? Or I think the possession charge will be ruled unconstitutional, which will moot the, the false statement charges because they, they won't be material lies anymore. Anyway, weird case, dumb case. I don't think it's going anywhere. But we'll see. We don't even know if there's going to be tax charges brought or fera charges brought. Uh, there there could be more and we'll keep you posted. Next up from Aurora Stefano, writing for a publication called Two Paragraphs. Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy was very specific in leveling allegations at Joe Biden as he announced greenlighting the impeachment inquiry. McCarthy shared the James Comer led House Oversight Committee's assertion that Biden is the brand that Hunter Biden and the Biden family sold around the world to enrich themselves. Ugh, the uh, hypocrisy is stunning, right? Because we have all sorts of people selling access to Trump, and there's no charges there. It's not against the law. Now, the rest of the post reads quote, As millions of dollars were pouring in, Joe Biden dined and spoke with his son's business associates to send signals of access, influence, and power. This is abuse of public office. No. There are numerous reasons that McCarthy needed to be uh, strong armed into acquiescing into opening an impeachment inquiry. He'd long resisted it, despite taunts from Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates, And even after very direct orders from former President Donald Trump, who posted on Truth Social, these lowlifes impeached me twice. I won and indicted me four times for nothing. Impeach the bum or fade into oblivion. They did it to us. Plus, we recently learned that Kevin McCarthy or Marjorie Taylor Greene dined with Trump at Mar-a-Lago, they discussed the impeachment inquiry. This is all coming from Trump. And one of the more obvious reasons McCarthy seemed reluctant was risk aversion. After nine months of investigation into Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, and what Comer repeatedly called the Biden crime family, no evidence had been turned up linking the president to any wrongdoing. But another reason, maybe that McCarthy knows that business and politics are always closely related, and that there is a difference between being connected to someone and being available to them, like Joe Biden admits he is with his son, and being involved with that person in criminal activity. McCarthy knows this firsthand, as shown in a 2018 LA Times investigative report revealing that a company owned by his brother-in-law, William Wages, that's McCarthy's wife's brother, got $7.6 million in federal government contracts to do work mostly in McCarthy's district. Reporters Paul Pringle and Adam Elmhreck Reveal that McCarthy's brother-in-law's company, Vortex Construction, was awarded more than four million in minority set-aside contracts for projects at China Lake. So the Biden's claim, which McCarthy casts aspersions on, that two close relatives never discussed business with each other, even when the business could be aided by political power held by the other, that probably sounds familiar to McCarthy because it's the same claim he has made. He never spoke to his brother about the Vortex contracts. Nepotistic wannabe fascists who enrich their families using political influence shouldn't throw stones, (laughs) especially if the speakership is about to end. And from Bill Britt at the Alabama Political Reporter, the Alabama legislature's open defiance of the U.S. Supreme Court ruling in Allen v. Milligan, which ordered the creation of a second majority black district, baffled and infuriated the federal three judge panel that initially ordered the state to redraw its map. APR has now identified connections between Alabama officials who led that redistricting process with far-right power broker Leonard Leo's dark money network. Despite the organization's claims that it doesn't take positions on politics, former President Donald Trump famously stated that Leo's Federalist Society had handpicked his judges, and all six Republican-appointed Supreme Court justices were seated with major help from Leonard Leo, who has come to be known as the hidden architect of the Supreme Court. With few exceptions, the justices Leo ushered to the branch have reliably voted to permit the partisan gerrymanders and strict restrictions on voting access that have proliferated in recent years from red state legislatures, which themselves work in tandem with and sometimes under the direction of Leo's dark money groups. As APR reported in July, Alabama lawmakers working in conjunction with State Attorney General Steve Marshall's office and Washington, D.C. lawyers had intelligence that Supreme Court associate Brett Kavanaugh, who voted with the majority in Milligan just weeks ago to order the new maps under the statutory language, is open to rehearing the case as a constitutional challenge to the validity of Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. Now, in addition, there appears to be significant connections between Alabama's post Milligan map redrawing process, Leo's powerful National Dark Money Network, and Brett Kavanaugh. The tangled web. Of previously unreported ties centers around Marshall, Alabama Solicitor General Edmund LaCour, dubbed the architect behind Alabama's voting rights defiance, and the D.C. area law firm Concevoy-McCarthy, the firm founded by William Concevoy a now deceased former clerk to Clarence Thomas, who represented Shelby County in Shelby v. Holder. And in Shelby County, the Supreme Court invalidated Section 4 of the Voting Rights Act and its vital preclearance provision which protected against unilateral state changes to voting rights and maps in states that had a documented history of racial bias in administering elections in order to disenfranchise black voters. So it's already a murder board with a bunch of yarn connecting all these people. A review of Alabama's July legislative contract review agenda shows that Alabama attorney general's office retained Consovoy McCarthy attorneys, to, quote, provide expert analysis, strategic advice, assist in legal research, and review and revise pleadings as needed regarding an unnamed matter. Concevoy-McCarthy has handled many high-profile cases assailing measures to redress racial discrimination on behalf of right-wing groups tied to Leonard Leo. For instance, Concevoy-McCarthy has repeatedly represented the Honest Elections Project, an alias for the 85 Fund. That's a 501c3 tied to Leo, and it represented the Leo-connected dark money group students for fair admissions in its successful challenge to Harvard's affirmative action program at SCOTUS. Reporting from Politico and the Post has identified the 85 fund, then called the Judicial Education Project, we've talked about this in the affirmative action case, as the vehicle through which Leo coordinated the movement of up to $100,000 to Justice Thomas's wife, Ginny, between 2011 and 2012, at least, and possibly continuing for years. The Post noted, quote, the same year, the Judicial Education Project filed a brief to the SCOTUS in a landmark voting rights case in which Justice Thomas joined a decision in accordance with the Judicial Education Project's brief. The 85 fund has also been tied to Leo's efforts to coordinate anonymously funded briefs to the Supreme Court in highly charged political cases. Among the Concevoy attorneys listed on the state contract disclosure is Tyler Green, one of three trustees on a billion plus dollar trust fund helmed by Leonard Leo, which helps administer Leo's largest dark money operation called Marble Freedom Trust. Green, who clerked for Justice Thomas and formerly served as a Solicitor General of Utah, is also a contributor to the Federalist Society, which Leo Helms is a co chair of the board. The Attorney General's office contract lists Edmund LaCour, Solicitor General, as the attorney assigned to work with Concevoy McCarthy. LaCour is also a Federalist Society contributor. And previously, clerked for 11th Circuit Judge William Pryor, a close ally of Leo and Justice Thomas, and a vocal Federalist Society defender. LaCour's wife, Alice LaCour, is also a Federalist Society lady. Her and her Federalist Society profile notes that she served on the confirmation teams at the Justice Department to elevate Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. Edmund and Alice LaCour were fellows with the Opus Dei affiliated Leonine Forum, where Leo was a board member. They also have been involved with the Catholic Information Center, a hub for Opus Dei, a small, ultra-conservative, controversial Catholic community in the nation's capital, and which has given Leo its highest award. Both liqueurs gave tribute remarks at the Catholic Information Center's John Paul II New Evangelization Award Ceremony in 2017. The fuck? In January 2019, an article from the Washington Post stated, that the CIC members, that's the Catholic thing, and leaders included high-profile figures like Leo, and that CIC serves as a meeting place for influential operatives in D.C., leading it to have, quote, an outsized impact on policy and politics. Alice LaCour's work on Kavanaugh's confirmation and the LaCour's connection to Leo and the Catholic far-right have not been previously reported. Attorney General Marshall also has connections to LEO through the Republican Attorney General's Association, RAGA, and its affiliated Rule of Law Defense Fund, where Marshall has been a director since 2020. LEO's groups are the largest known funder of RAGA since its launch as a separate 527 group in 2014, as the Center on Media and Democracy and True North Research have documented. And RAGA and RLDF are notorious for its robocalls encouraging participation in the rally on January 6th, the one that led to the insurrection. Both organizations have received significant funding from Leo's network. According to IRS filings, the Concord Fund, also known by its alias the Judicial Crisis Network, another one of the core organizations Leo used to raise and allocate funds for, has provided over $1.9 million to RLDF and $16.5 million to RAGA in recent years, the Republican Attorney General Association. Marshall is a contributor to the leo Helm Federalist Society and delivered the opening speech at the Federalist Society's 2023 Alabama Chapters Conference, which also featured LaCour. These previously unreported connections between Alabama officials who led that state's 2023 redistricting process and various players seeking to reshape America may be the reason Alabama's Republican-controlled legislature gambled on a rehearing before the Supreme Court in hopes their inside intelligence was right in believing Kavanaugh would change his previous vote in Allen v. Milligan. Ah, and speaking of the Harlan Crow fascist club, none other than former attorney general for Ron Reagan, Ronald Reagan, Edwin Meese, has decided it would be a good idea to weigh in on Jeffrey Clark's bid to remove his Georgia indictment to federal court. And y'all, it's, it's really something special. It really is. Mies, 91, who probs is one of the most corrupt attorneys general next to Bill Barr in the history of the Department of Justice. I mean, he resigned in 1988 after an independent prosecutor investigating him uncovered the fact that he was helping a friend of his who worked at a company called WedTech get defense contracts. He also had a role in the Iran-Contra cover-up and had some fun bribe stuff happening with construction of the Bechtel pipeline in Iraq. But anywho, Jeffrey Clark has an evidentiary hearing in his bid to remove his case to federal court today. So Meese filed this declaration over the weekend in support of his buddy. He claims all kinds of weird things. Well, first he brags about being an emeritus for the Heritage Foundation. That's the same foundation that gave Jenny Thomas over six hundred thousand dollars. That her hubs, Clarence, oopsie, forgot to put on his financial disclosure forms. He said he just misunderstood how the forms worked, but he's interpreting the Constitution. Cool, cool. So, Mies cites a 1983 Office of Legal Counsel memo. It's always an OLC memo, right? That says, Assistant Attorneys General are not generally limited to any one division of the DOJ. Just because he's an oil spill guy doesn't mean he can't do stuff over in the criminal division or the civil rights division. So, this OLC memo from 1983 assistant attorneys general, not limited, generally not limited to any one division of the DOJ or any specific set of duties. I think generally here means crimes probably aren't included, but he insists that under Article 2 of the Constitution, if a president asks an executive branch employee to write an opinion, that employee is obliged. They have to. So a couple things here. Is he saying Trump directed Clark to write that letter? I'm talking about the letter to Georgia saying, we found election malfeasance. Stop your thing. Don't, you know, alternate slate of electors, etc. Is he saying Trump told him to write that and that's why he had to? As that's a whole new interesting thing, wouldn't that? would That'd be fun to discuss. But generally there's no division of the Department of Justice or duty within any division of the Department of Justice that says that you can plot to overthrow the government or violate the Hatch Act by campaigning political activity. I don't, I'm don't. i pretty sure there's no job in the DOJ that you can be dual-hatted to, to overthrow the government. Uh, he goes on to say, any opinion that the president asks any executive branch employee to write Those opinions are subject to all kinds of privilege, including executive privilege, deliberative process privilege, and attorney-client privilege. Well, let's start with executive privilege. That's Joe Biden's to dole out. And if you want to try to apply the privilege to presidential documents under some sort of absolute immunity, ask Nixon how that turned out in US v. Nixon. Let's talk about deliberative process privilege. We had a recent ruling from the D.C. Circuit Court indicating that if the writing is not tied to deliberations about the relevant decision, the privilege does not apply. The limit does not exist. This was that Bill Barr memo that we were trying to get released, remember? And he was the DOJ was arguing that there was deliberative process privilege. That was Barr's argument, and then Merrick Garland picked up the torch and argued deliberative process privilege. And and she's like, there was no deliberative. That's not a thing. That's not what you were talking about. That wasn't a deliberation. A letter with false statements meant for Georgia about their elections is not deliberative process. Now, let's say acting A.G. Rosen, who was above Jeffrey Clark, let's say he wrote a memo to Trump about why a letter with false statements to be Georgia would be illegal. Let's have that discussion. That would be covered by deliberative process privilege. Much like the memo Mike Pence's attorney wrote to him about why it's illegal to throw out certified electors. Jack Smith wanted that, but the court said no. That was actually covered by speech or debate clause, but it also would have been deliberative process privilege because that's a deliberative process. They use speech or debate because he was acting as the president of the Senate that day. Finally, attorney client privilege, bro. I'm no lawyer much less a disgraced former attorney fucking general for the United States. But that letter is a predicate crime under Georgia state RICO laws, which I'm pretty sure would qualify for a crime fraud exception to attorney client privilege. Mono. Call me crazy. Now finally, me says, yeah, but yeah, but the letter wasn't even sent to anybody guys. Yeah. And thank your lucky fucking stars. Cause if it was, Jeffrey Clark probs would be charged with mail fraud and forgery like the dipshits who sent their fraudulent elector certificate in the mail to Congress and the National Archives. Oh, that's fun. Funsies. Anyhow, Katie Fang, Anna Bauer, Hugo Lowell, Professor Kreis, uh, Tamara Hallerman, all kinds of amazing people will be covering the Jeff Clark evidentiary hearing today, Monday, in federal court. And since there are no cameras in that courtroom... Give them all a follow on social media for the latest. You can also follow me at Muller She wrote pretty much everywhere. All right, we have to take a quick break, but I have a lot of good news to tell you about. We'll hit that right after this uh message from a sponsor. Stick around, we'll be right back.
1: After these messages will
0: Hey everybody, it's AG. A good night's sleep really sets you up for an amazing day and an amazing week and month and year and life. And thanks to my customized Helix mattress, my sleep is better than ever. Just go to HelixSleep.com/slash dailybeans, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life, and you'll get 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Helix Sleep has a great lineup of 20 mattresses, including the award-winning Lux and the newly introduced Elite Collections. They've got a design for mattresses for everyone, including big and tall people and little children. They have something for every person. Now, Helix understands that we all have unique sleep patterns and preferences. They've designed their mattresses accordingly so everyone gets the best sleep solution. The mattress I was matched to is called the Midnight, the Helix Midnight. It's the perfect fit for anyone who sleeps on their side and likes a medium firm mattress like I do. But how do you choose the right one? You just take that Helix sleep quiz, and in less than two minutes, you'll be matched with your perfect sleep companion. Better yet, this comfort arrives at your doorstep with zero delivery charge. You'll also get a 100-night trial to test your new Helix mattress and a 10 to 15-year warranty, depending on the model, one of the many reasons I trust them so much. Every Helix mattress is crafted in their own manufacturing facility right here in the United States, ensuring that the quality and comfort we receive are top-notch. From their facilities straight to our bedrooms, you never have to step foot inside a mattress store again. Hooray. Right now, Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners. Go to helixsleep.com dailybeans and use code HELIXPARTNER. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news? near. Good news. Good and if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, you want to play what the mutt, what the heck send me some frog orgy pictures. Dana will be back tomorrow. Send her baby pictures. She loves baby pictures. I know you have baby pictures. Go and send us some baby pictures. Uh, and she will be very, very grateful. I, I also love baby pictures. I don't want people to think that I don't like baby pictures. I love them too. She just especially loves baby pictures. Do you have a shout out for a loved one or a small business in your area or your small business to all the amazing makers and creators out in the Leguminati-verse? I want to hear from you. Um, If you have a shout out about yourself, something that you're proud of, I want you to brag to me about what you are doing that you are proud of. That is so important. Once a day, we should all sit down and just write one good thing that we love about ourselves and then maybe say it out loud, like put it out into the universe and then also send it into the good news by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Uh, first up from Joyce. Pronouns she and her. I enjoy your show and listen every day. Thank you both for keeping people informed. The other day when you were talking about Wisconsin, you mispronounced some names. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Governor Tony Evers pronounces his last name to rhyme with beavers. Evers. Okay, thank you. I didn't know that. Now I know. Governor Evers. Attorney General Josh Call pronounces his name like Call. Okay, cool. I got that one. I'm so glad we Wisconsinites have them holding the line on this nonsense coming from the state legislature. Yes. It's, uh, God, can you imagine if they weren't there? Oh, for pet tax, here's a picture of Gabby, our Bengal cat. My five-year-old granddaughter took this picture. Thanks again for keeping us informed and entertained. Okay. First of all, your five-year-old granddaughter, professional photographer in the making. Second of all, this Bengal cat, Love his face. Wait, what's this? Is it's Gabby? Okay, maybe I don't know if that's a girl or not, but it's absolutely beautiful cat. And Bengals are so soft, and they have the coolest markings. Um, I absolutely love love these babies, and I want to pet that baby right now, but I cannot. But thank you for sending me the picture because it makes me happy. Next up from Nathan, pronouns he and him. Hello, Beans Queens. I am late to the party, but I heard Allison on the Politics Girl podcast last month, and I decided to give the Daily Beans a try. It only took a week of listening to become a patron. Nathan, welcome. I love Lee McGowan so much. She is honestly one of the smartest, most charismatic, brilliant women I know. I effing love her. I'm so glad that you listened to the Politics Girl podcast. Uh, I wanted to give a shout out to Nashville's newly elected city council members at large. Delicia Porterfield, Quinn Evans-Siegel, Berkeley Allen, and Olivia Hill, all women and mostly progressive, including our first openly trans city council member, Olivia. Middle Tennessee isn't always the most friendly place to live politically, but yesterday we got it right, and I was excited to be a part of it. Nathan, we are going to start seeing this every fucking where. Mark my words. For my pod pet tax, I give you Gideon, who also answers to Monster. He is a Japanese Chen. I love this picture a friend captured of him, but I always felt if he were wearing a tweed jacket with patches on the sleeves on his way to teach English lit class, it would help complete this look. Yes, and he needs to fumoon peep as well, Nathan. Keep doing what you're doing. Your podcast is something I look forward to every day. This is a beautiful little dog. Oh, I used to have a Pekinese, and they kind of have the same face. But what a beauty. Oh, and Sophina Fine Art Portraiture. That is a beautiful, beautiful picture. But you're right, Gideon. You're right. I think he does need... Uh, a corduroy jacket with patches on the elbows. That would be perfect. <laughs> now, up from uh, M from Milwaukee, pronouns she and her. Hi, a native Wisconsinite here. Just want to say, damn, we got a lot of BS going on in Wisconsin with that ass hat Voss and his dipshit cohorts. Okay, that is a very well put together sentence. It's so good. I'm going to read it again. Damn, we got a lot of BS going on in Wisconsin with that ass hat Voss and his dipshit cohorts. The alliteration is fantastic, M. We need to vote them out and donate to Ben Wickler and Wisdoms, yes. But there was some good news that was missed in the Materiality of Lies episode. Planned Parenthood of Wisconsin will be resuming abortion care services Monday, September 18th. That is today, after the overturning of Roe, the state's archaic 1849 criminal abortion ban came back. And of course, asshat and dipshits did nothing to help Wisconsinites. Abortion care is health care. I love the show and I will try to never miss an episode. Thank you for helping me feel sane in this crazy ass time in Wisconsin. With love from Wisconsin M. P.S. Also included is my pet tax. This is our fur baby, Lucy. Hi, J? J-A-I. We call her LJ. Uh, she'll be three in November. What the mutt? Want to guess? Oh, let's see. Oh, oh. first of all, great smile with the lip caught on the tooth. That is fantastic. And I love the eyebrows. Yellow Lab, Yellow Lab, Doxy, maybe a Chihuahua? I can't tell how big this dog is. Bloodhound, Black and Tan Coon Hound, and Lab Mix. Okay, I got Lab. All right. I thought it was a smaller dog, so that's why I started going with the small dogs. Beautiful pup. Thank you for that. Next up, Deborah. no pronouns, Beans Queens. I learned about a local postcarding opportunity here in the beautiful state of Washington on a recent Good News episode. Oh my gosh. I have written postcards to folks all over the country, including recent cards to Wisconsin, Ohio, to native voters in Arizona, and I'm currently writing to voters in Virginia. Yes, big elections coming up in Virginia. To learn about local postcarding campaigns through my ear holes was a real treat. Uh, these folks are on top of things. I have 130 postcards in the pipeline and I feel extra good and hand crampy uh, that it might help keep Washington as blue as can be. No pet tax because no pets. My postcards are keeping me warm tonight. Deborah, that is so great. I love that. that We had that submission from the postcarders in Washington on in that recent good news. And so this is so, so wonderful. Thanks for all you're doing to write postcards. Next up from Kate, pronouns she and her. So you love Australians and we love you both, as you know. However, we do not say aluminium foil or even alfoil, which avoids the issue. That said, there's no right or wrong way to say anything. (laughs) It's so true. I reckon we all speak different dialects and who cares as long as we understand each other. Yes, Kate, we're mostly quoting Susie Izzard when we talk about that. Um, Not necessarily the views expressed on, on the show. Uh, our hours alone, but and you know we're comedians. God, it's a long history of jokes about pronunciations of things. But you are correct, and words, right? Language evolves. Pronunciations are different. Even mistakes can become actual words. And I know that upsets people, but the, we would still be speaking old English, and if we didn't make those mistakes and, and if language didn't evolve. Anyway, here's a bit of fairly Australian vernacular you'll appreciate. I have no idea why. But about 2009, if we wanted to describe someone who was not going to mess about getting something done, you would say they are not there to fuck spiders. Begs the question of who is here to fuck spiders? How precisely does one fuck a spider? Who knows? Who cares? Pet tax, my baby's Benji, and our new adoptee, Poppy. Poppy's an older lady, stayed affectionate, quiet, easygoing, docile, unless you're another dog and you get anywhere near her new boyfriend, Benji, because she will try to rip your throat out. He, oh, well, now we know. No off-leash play dates for Poppy. Luckily, she's too slow moving to do anyone damage except herself. <laughs> love your work and love the justice that's finally coming for us. Jokers. Look at these babies. Oh, I have friends who have dogs that look just like this. I love the spots so much. How cute. Thank you for sending in those photos. And you're right, Kate. Who who fucking cares? All right. I love all these submissions so much. Thank you for sending them in. If you have any you want to send to us, please do so by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Uh, I will be back in your ears tomorrow for sure. I'm pretty sure Dana will be here too, uh, unless some other travel comes up. But I think she'll be here, so I look forward to that. Please check out the latest episode of the Jack podcast if you have not. It's like one of my favorite ones so far. Uh, I really am um, proud of what we were able to put out this week and every week, me and Andy. And then also, don't forget, clean up on aisle 45 on Wednesday. I go over that Middlebrooks bench slap. It is fucking glorious. All right, everybody. Until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q and bring someone with you. I've been A.G.